What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. week's episode of Burn It All Down. It's the feminist sports podcast you need. On this week's panel, it's just me and Dr. Brenda Elsie, Associate Professor of History and undeniable genius at Hofstra University in New York. So we might be doing a little bit of Thelma and Louise. Before we begin, I would like to thank our patrons for their generous support and to remind our flamethrowers about our Patreon campaign. You pledge a certain amount monthly, as low as $2, and as high as you want to become an official patron of the podcast. In exchange for your monthly contribution, you get access to special rewards. And with the price of a latte a month, you can get access to extra segments of the podcast, known as Hot Takes, a monthly newsletter, an opportunity to record on the burn pile, only available to those in our Patreon community. So far, we've been able to solidify funding for proper editing and transcripts, but are hoping to reach our dream of hiring a producer to help us with this show. Burn It All Down is a labor of love, and we believe in this podcast, but having a producer to help us as we grow would be amazing. We are so grateful for your support. In addition to this amazing campaign, (laughs) I would also like to remind all of our flamethrowers and thank you for not only purchasing merchandise from our Teespring store, but also sending us photographs in that. We have everything from tote bags, mugs, sweatshirts, tank tops, and pillows. And just, we are having a lot of fun and are so grateful. And we are so excited that there are folks out there that are actually wearing (laughs) our faces. (laughs) So just as a reminder, it's teespring.com slash store slash burn it all down. We would be, we are continuously honored by everyone's encouragement and support. Thank you very, very much. Now on to the show. Today we are going to talk about CONCACAF, which I know is one of Brenda's favorite subjects ever. So we will be doing that. I have an interview with Safia Ahmed, the media person and genius at Le Canadien, CWHL team. And then Brenda and I will talk a little bit about what it takes to write about sexualized violence in sport with one of the biggest athletic figures in the world. And we'll talk a little bit about self-care. Now, moving on directly to that. Wednesday, October 10th, was Mental Health Day. Now, Brent, was there any tweet or post that moved you that you found was helpful? It was Wednesday was Mental Health Day, and I was teaching the entire day. 
So I left at 7 a.m. and I got back at 11 p.m. So ironically, I didn't have that much time to do any good mental health work. But I would like to say that since last year, I feel like the campaign grew a lot. And even on Thursday, Friday into the weekend, I was seeing all kinds of wonderful and thoughtful and kind posts. I did like the ones that pointed out language that we should change and gave suggestions for things like how not to use the word crazy or insane and alternative language to use because language matters. And I thought those were very moving. What about you? Yeah, no, thanks. I think that I totally agree with you. Just the way that we need to rid ourselves of ableist language is really, really important. I've always loved an artist in Toronto named Hannah Shafi. She does affirmation art. So I always share her stuff. And I did that. And I also, it actually, I saw a story about an athlete, a skater named Gabrielle Daleman. And she is actually won bronze at the world skating championship last year. And she's taking a break from skating for mental health. And that really struck me because I remember thinking in my lifetime, I never saw stuff like that when I was younger. I never saw, saw the uh, openness and the, the, willingness of people to understand or try to understand anyway, that taking a break from mental health was actually really necessary and legitimate. And just a quote from her is, quote, I'm just more mature. I'm more confident, not only in my skating, but in myself, Delman said. And that's what I've struggled with in the past is self-love and self-confidence and speaking out about bullying, about my eating disorders, my mental health. That's really helped me grow and that's what's actually made me more confident in my skating and in myself, end quote. So I found it to be incredibly moving, like her story, and really important. Yeah, I when you said I never saw these things when I was younger, it, I absolutely never saw these types of things. But then again, that might be like one positive thing about social media. I have a feeling that when we talk about writing about sexualized violence later in the show, we're not going to be so happy about social media. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but it's it's nice for players and athletes like that to have a direct communication in that sense with, you know, people that follow them and look up to them. Because I never remember hearing anything about mental health, anything talked about in a sensitive way looking at it seriously as a challenge in one's life. So it's really great to, to, to see a shift just in our own lifetime. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree without aging ourselves too young. Cause Brenda and I are both 26. <laughs> um, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. Just no, it was really important to, to see that and to be reaffirmed and even athletes. And I know I've talked about Silken Lumen a lot in this regard when I, because, you know, I looked up to her growing up when she came out and even in my adulthood and wrote her book called Unsinkable, it really meant a lot for me. And I know that on our episode that we did add in our tweet thread about mental health day, that episode, I believe it's 23, uh, was really important where we went around the table and talked about what it meant to us. Like I always talk about her because I looked up to her as indomitable and in many ways she is, but indomitable doesn't necessarily mean you don't struggle. It just means that you persevere. And that's something I've learned about in, in my own journeys with mental health and in just learning from everybody else. Brenda, let's talk CONCACAF. Take it away. Whoa. 
<laughs> so obviously, I'm not really happy with the what's been going on <laughs> because I love Mexico, but at the same time, really impressed with some other things. So this is where we're at. We are up to the semifinals for CONCACAF. They are going to be played, then we're recording on Sunday morning, October 14th, and it's this afternoon that the two semifinals will be played between Canada and Panama, and the U.S. versus Jamaica. So we're up to that point. We already know, for people that don't follow the soccer that closely, there are 24 teams that will be in the Women's World Cup. This CONCACAF qualifying round, three will go forward, and then a fourth will play a playoff with Argentina, the first leg of which is November 5th, and the second leg of in Argentina. And the second leg is November 11th. And so where we're at right now is that, you know, almost certainly we'll see U.S., Canada, and then will we see Panama or Jamaica fit that third slot? A great thing is this also qualifies teams for the Pan American Games, and that means Jamaica and Panama will go to the 2019 Games for sure. And since we've seen and talked about on the show the tremendous challenges that Jamaican team has faced, not having a training camp, not being given proper resources, hopefully the fact that they were able to qualify for this will keep the Federation under fire to try and give them the resources they need. So that's amazing and huge hats off to them. What do I think about this, though? (laughs) I mean, it's. I don't really think it's great how little competition there is. I don't think it's great for the U.S. and Canada in the long term to hardly be tested. For me, it, it feels like Brazil and Comebol, where they just went into the qualifiers and just cruised through. And, you know, it feels like that for me, too. I'm not going to pretend to talk about Canada when I'm with Shireen on the show, but... At least, it- you know, all hail, all hail, as David, or our friend David Rudin says, all hail, our Lord, Christine Sinclair. <laughs> but no, but I, can I ask you a question about this? I love your, your summary, which is really important for people to understand how the qualification for the Women's World Cup works. But could you argue that this is only like a reflection of globally what the scene looks like? It's the same thing. Like there's certain countries that overpower that have like when we think of the uh, Asian Confederation, I mean, like other than Japan, (laughs) actually, are there really any, you know, there's no Central Asian teams. There's no South Asian teams that ever qualify. So, you know, CONCACAF is just another bit in that puzzle. Totally. I guess the two things and this is a constant between CONCACAF and Ball in South America that are surprising and disappointing is that there's two new leagues in the Americas region that have done really well. And one is the Colombian one, and the other is Liga Mexicana Feminine, right? And the Mexican Women's Professional League has has really made such great strides. And one of the characteristics of that is that the Mexican Women's Professional League only took Mexican players the last couple of years, and that by by regulation, and that's because they wanted to build up their national team. And so, of course, it's like tremendously disappointing to see that. And the exact same thing happened with Colombia, which also has now not qualified for the World Cup. So both of those were kind of stunning, you know, that you thought that these two very successful leagues 
that were exactly meant to help these teams go forward would would pay off. Then again, it's totally unrealistic to expect one season and two seasons of these leagues to make that kind of change. So, you know, it's probably not realistic to ask that of them, but I th- <laughs> I think it was it's not realistic. It's not, but it was disappointing. Is it really a hard ask, really? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it was disappointing. It was really disappointing. And to be fair, Mexico had some really tough luck. You know, I don't think to be quite honest, I don't think that Roberto Medina, who's their head coach now, was really impressive at all. It didn't seem like he knew his players. Then again, when in the 2-0 defeat from Panama, you had two things happen. One, Caitlin Johnson, who plays for Sky Blue. So just to say, Caitlin Johnson, we love you and we're so sorry that you have to play for Sky Blue and Mexico. (laughs) (laughs) In the sense that that means you're in two places where you deserve better in terms of conditions but um you know what the the, the football gods have something in store for yeah, hopefully. exactly and also the entire press which is very small and we can talk about what little press this tournament has gotten has misnamed her kayla johnson almost all week so she, she hit several shots off the post so there was some bad luck in the defeat against panama and then everyone's talking about yanith bailey Panama's 17-year-old goalkeeper as the player of the tournament. So Panama's had some huge luck. I think that U.S. college recruiting teams are probably going crazy calling her right now. Yeah, she's 17. Yeah, she's 17, and she's just had an amazing tournament. And then you see Nayeli Rangel, Rangel, who is the the captain for Mexico that was featured in that Nike ad recently. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yeah, yes. Yeah, she's she's a midfielder for Tigres in the Mexican league, and she's just not seemed to have a good tournament. And I'm not sure why. I guess we'll hear more about that. I think two bigger takeaways, and I want to ask you about it, is I've been really disappointed in the lack of press coverage, for one. You know, I think there's just not a depth of knowledge out there. So I just haven't seen anything where there's decent interviews with the, with the Jamaican players and, and these exciting new teams. And secondly, I want to ask you, Shereen, Karina LeBlanc, I haven't seen come out very much at all. Karina, as some people may know, she's actually a new position this year, started for FIFA as sort of like the head of women's soccer for CONCACAF. She's been out, uh, the last post I believe I saw for her was on International Day of the Girl. I could be wrong about that. But uh, she should be in attendance at these matches. I know she's working hard on the development side, but I don't know. I don't know beyond that. And there needs to be more. I don't like the lack of coverage. I mean, I can watch the matches of uh, Canada on sports. Sportsnet, I can log in or I can pay a certain amount and, and I can always rely on my shady, you know, Reddit soccer stream friends to give me a link. But that's the problem. Why isn't this more easily accessible? I mean, Canada has we're ranked top 10 in the world. Why can't I access this? This is ridiculous. I mean, the United States has about 600 sports channels. That's what I feel anyway. So, you know, it's easier to watch that. But I mean, what if I wanted to watch one of the lesser known teams? What if I wanted to watch, you know, Colombia play? Would it be easily accessible for me? And the answer is no. Um, In terms of just, there's been a lot of articles in Canada, especially because of, and you know, I'm going to drop this, Christine Sinclair scoring her 175th goal. So she's like 10 or 11 behind Abby Wambach, who I certainly believe she will, you know, pass at some point. 
And, you know, it's a big deal. So there's been stories about that. And Christine Sinclair, who is the unofficial prime minister of Canada, has is also very humble. She's not huge on media covering all this. Like she didn't even tweet about her 175th goal because that's just the way she is, although there's tweets everywhere. She didn't retweet any of them. She's just very, very quiet. She plays for the Portland Thorns right now is an off season, you know, doing on international duty. But it's incredible to see that. And I would like to see more hoopla about Christine Sinclair. I would, not just her, but I mean, Jesse Fleming is 18 and a phenom. Would like to see more of that. I think that we need to prop up our team a little bit more consistently. And, you know, you're absolutely right. And Brenda, I'm very interested in the in Panama. I want to know more about the Panamanian team. I want to know what's, where do they come from? What happened? And this upset over Mexico was incredible because I just assumed, not only because I love Brenda, that Mexico would qualify. And the Tricolor, like they have a beautiful, you know, history and a consistency, so to speak. But in a way, could you argue, Brenda, that this is actually really good? I mean, I would have been happier if Panama knocked out the United States somehow. That would have been really fun for me. But... Um, is it not a, a progression that we see Panama beating them out? Is that a good thing? I don't think so. I actually think it's a pretty big step back for Mexico. And the reason that that matters, which isn't to take anything away from Panama and not to be happy for them. So like, I'm super happy for Panama and Jamaica. The reason I think that it's disappointing that both Costa Rica and Mexico didn't qualify is that those are two countries who can be places for Panamanian and Jamaican players to go and have professional careers. Yeah. And so that just gets kind of sparked um, forward if they do well in international competition. What this kind of does is allow for the patriarchs of Mexican soccer to say, you know what, it hasn't paid off this experiment. Okay. So let's let you know let's stop investing so that's my fear and costa rica the same thing they have a wonderful woman coach valverde there's no secret about my crush on her and her her suit coat jacket things that are amazing and tweed she didn't wear those which i i, I feel like was bad luck for costa rica you mean she her blazers the tweed blazers yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. do you remember yeah. those from the women's world yeah Cup? amazing amazing yeah yeah. And I, you know what? I didn't see them and maybe I missed them, but I saw a t-shirt the last time around and I was like, I'm not sure, but I feel like that's bad, bad luck for them. It is important to remember too, that Costa Rica were kind of ambassadors of Central American and Caribbean women's football, and they played matches in Panama in the 1950s. So Panama, Panama women's soccer and, and Costa Rican has been around a long time. I just kind of hope, you know, I would have hoped they did better simply because I think they're in a position to be leaders in Latin America that would ultimately benefit players from Panama and Jamaica because I don't think Panama and Jamaica are on the verge of creating, you know, a viable women's professional league. Whereas Costa Rica and Mexico are. But I mean, it was a good thing to see, particularly after all the challenges that the Jamaican team has had to see them advance. I mean, can you imagine when teams that don't get support from their federations, that don't get what they need, still have, they definitely have what it takes, but they persevere to get it done to a degree. Like, I find that incredible. And yeah, you, no, it's amazing. Like it's amazing. Like they, they literally have no support. Like likewise with Argentina. Like you, you've covered it so extensively, Brenda. Like not just the broken buses, but like the lack of attention, the difficulties from their own communities or, or society and federation. I always blame federations on this. And uh, you know, we'll we'll talk about 
you know, I know that your blowtorch is ready for burning something a little bit later, but talking about the lack of, you know, not using women's soccer as a shield to say, oh, we're, look at us, we're allies. Like, and this happens a lot in the sports community, the football community anyway. But I'm just so excited for Jamaica. You know, I think that, you know, moving forward, I'm going to be positive as long as Canada keeps advancing. And... So I'm not going to lie about that. Shout out to Stephanie Yang, who feels very similarly and who is an honorary Canadian because of her adoration and commitment (laughs) to Christine Sinclair, who, by the way, I actually, this is a really good uh, omen because I know, Brenda, you like this kind of stuff. Before I went to go see you, I forgot to talk to talk to you about this. And Penn State, I found a quarter that Canada had issued for the Women's World Cup 2015, and I found it in my pocket. Oh, yeah. And magic. It was pretty. That's the kind of football magic. That is football. And it has, you know, it's wonderful. And I hold it very close. And I hope I didn't put it on my purse and use it at Tim Hortons. That would really suck. Anyways. But it might also be like paying it forward in Canada. Like if you use it at Tim Hortons, maybe it just (laughs) extends the good luck to the Canadian national team. (laughs) Maybe. For listeners that don't know, I don't love Tim Hortons. Oh, I don't love (laughs) Tim Hortons either, but it's like like that civic duty. Anyways, (laughs) let's move on. Tim Hortons, sponsor the Canadian (laughs) women's national team, please. Tim Hortons can sponsor Burn It All Down. (laughs) Next is my interview with Safia Ahmed of Les Canadiens. I am so happy to have Safia Ahmed on Burn It All Down this week. Safia is the media relations manager for Le Canadien, the best women's team in the CWHL, in my opinion. I'm not biased at all. She's also right now doing some media, social media work for the Concordia Singers men's hockey team. She has a podcast, The Last Stretch podcast. And she is somebody who I look to and learn from regularly in media. Safia, thank you so much for being on Burn It All Down. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on. Okay. Let's talk CWHL. Last week, we had our friend Erica Ayala talk about NWHL. Tell me a little bit about the season that starts when? So our season for the Canadiens starts October 13th. So this Saturday at 6.30 p.m. We're actually opening in our, one of our new homes this season the at Place Belle, which is uh, located in Laval, uh, a small city, uh, a city right outside Montreal. We're really excited. And we're playing the Calgary Inferno on Saturday and on Sunday. So back to back. And that matchup literally f- features 15 Olympians from all over the world, which is nuts. Safia, when does the CWHL season begin? So for Les Canadiens, the season begins on October 13th uh, on Saturday. We're playing the Calgary Inferno uh, for two days in a row, so on Saturday and Sunday at Place Bell, which is one of the arenas that we're going to be playing in this year and also the new one for the year. So we're really excited. Uh, the matchup features 15 Olympians, which is just insane. I had to count them up so many times just to make sure that it was reality. 15? 15. Wow. And where are they from? Mostly Canada and the U.S., but uh, so for Les Canadiens, it's Canada, U.S. For Calgary, it's Canada, USA, Japan, and Finland. It's really exciting. I'm so excited for this, for that weekend. Wow. So tell me a little bit about, so the CWHL is basically, you know, it, it, it has its own culture. I think we could say that, definitely. and. 
Could you explain for people that might not understand what the addition of teams from China means in this? And like, are they based here or like, how does that work exactly? So I'm not an expert exactly on the issue, but what I can say is that the league introduced two Chinese teams last season. So for 2017 and 2018, that was the Vanky Rays and the Kunlun Red Star. And basically what that meant was that obviously there was a huge international expansion and it was in a way it was really great for our league because more teams means more competition. Also, it looks like it was also a bit of a strategic move on uh, their end as well because uh, the 2022 Beijing Winter Games are on the way. So I feel like obviously they want to get their women's teams uh, ready for for those games. And what that meant is that they would often come to Canada and the U.S. because last year there was the Boston Blades, now renamed the Wooster Blades, pardon my pronunciation. But yeah, so so they traveled to Canada and they played multiple games at a time here because it was just more efficient that way. And then each team from North America would travel to China once for like an entire week about uh, to face them four times. Now, the thing is that this year, there's only one Chinese team. The league had just decided based on player surveys and whatnot that, you know, after last year's experience of traveling and having that jet lag and everything, it was really intense to play both teams four times a week. And it just made more sense to have one team there. So they combined the teams. So now it's the Shenzhen, Shenzhen KRS, Vanky Race. So it's it's all two for one in a way. And this year when each team goes, uh, we're only going to be playing three games against them. So it's still really exciting. There are six teams instead of seven, but the competition's still alive and well. And and we're really excited uh, for that challenge. Yeah, that's wonderful. So how many times have Le Canadien won the Clarkson Cup? Four times. Out of how many? So the CWHL has been around for, we're entering our 12th 12th year. year. The league's entering its 12th year. And do you feel like the competition is getting more intense, which is a very good thing for a women's sport, for women's hockey? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think uh, competition's coming is becoming a lot more intense. I mean, I uh, started working with Lee Kanazan last season. So prior to that, I knew the team existed. I knew that they were called the Montreal Stars for a very long time and that they rebranded to Nikan Adzen, if I'm not mistaken, in the 2015-2016 season. So I knew the team had existed, but I wasn't following them too closely. But, you know, just talking to different volunteers and staff members on the team, it just looks like the game is growing each and every single year. There are more girls, women, you know, coming and, and applying for the draft every summer. So it just looks like it's getting better and better. And and obviously the CWHL is the, is the place to be. It's it's a great league to develop and it's a great way, you know, for to prepare for, you know, if you're aiming for those national teams, it's a great way to keep in shape and prepare for those and also, you know, to win the ultimate championship, the Clarkson Cup. So what more could you want? Absolutely. Well, I personally want a gold Olympic gold medal for Canada, but that's okay. I'll stay stalty for another couple of years until that happens. I mean, yeah, yeah, that would be nice. <laughs> we know that was going to come up at some point. So would you call the NWHL your sister league or is it a cousin league or is like, how does, and did the teams ever get to play friendlies against each other? 
So with regards to the NWHL, again, I'm just speaking from my experience from the past year and not even year and a half, I guess, the one season I did there. I mean, I think that the CWHL and the NWHL work in parallel and, you know, we have, it used to be that a lot of the American players would go to the NW, a lot of the Canadian players would stay in the CW and it almost seemed like this really intense stance that both nations were taking. But now there's a lot more overlap. We have American players hopping into the CWHL. Obviously, Hillary Knight with Lee Kanazen. Um, wow, shout out. So excited. Shout out to Hillary Knight. Yeah, I, I was a bit excited when I heard that announcement, I have to admit. Oh, yeah, I was, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was really giddy when it happened. Um, you know, and then there's Shannon Sabatos oh, yeah. who went over to the, um, to the NWHL. So I feel like there's a lot of overlap in terms of how far the team how much the teams communicate I I think that would be more at the league level because I never really have to deal with the NWHL too much so I think it might be best to ask them but honestly I think ultimately at the end of the day both leagues really want the best for women's hockey and that's you know to help them grow the game and you know be the best of the best and hopefully you know be able to make a proper career out of this and and make a living wage from it so I think uh you know it's the same goal at the end of the day right yeah absolutely and I know that I when you and I first met I was pretty astounded about some things and namely that at the time I think we've known each other for about more than three years the CWHL players were not paid. And I, I didn't actually know this. And a lot of people didn't know this because we assume that a lot of the players, like you said, in the CW are Canadian Olympians that had brought home championship medals, world championships, gold medals, and that they were literally doing this and not only doing this, like I've hung out after a Toronto Fury's the Canadian game and I've seen the way they manage the media, the fans, like they're always offering their time and themselves. They're more ambassadors than just players. It's, it's incredible. And so just to say that, do you, are you optimistic about that living wage about women's hockey players being able to literally be self-sustaining in Canada in the future? Yeah, I definitely am optimistic. I mean, the fact that they just started receiving a salary uh, last season is incredible. The last season, the league was was in its 11th year. Um, so that means from 2007 till last season, you know, there wasn't a living wage. And the fact that we're finally at a point where, you know, we can offer players something. I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not everything. And they still, a lot of the, our players still need to have a second job. But the fact is, at least now they're getting something. And I think, you know, as much as, you know, it's, it's between 2000 and 10,000, as much as it's not, you can't just live off of that. I definitely think that because we're starting, the players are starting to get paid, there's hope for the future. I have no doubt about that. And like I said, the game is growing. People are interested. People want to watch hockey. So I just feel like the league is just going to continue to grow and the players are, you know, I think they're pretty hopeful for that. I would hope so anyways. I would hope that get receiving the salary from last year and going into this season, I'm, I'm hoping that they feel optimistic as well because the way I see it, I think it's a huge step forward and I really think it's a really good thing for the women's game in Canada. How long does the CW season last? So it starts in October. The regular season starts in October. And usually when it's not an Olympic year, it runs till about end of February, beginning March. So do those players, like very, we've seen the WNBA, a lot of players have the WNBA season. And then when they finish, they go abroad to play like Europe. Otherwise. Is that similar with the CW? 
Not to my knowledge, no, because usually hockey seasons around the world, I would think, kind of follow the same schedule. So I think once the season ends, like I said, I mean, so many of these players have second jobs. I think it's time for them to rest a little bit and, and kind of, you know, <laughs> take a breather for five seconds. Obviously, for national team players, I think there are, you know, there are still camps and whatnot. But uh, to my knowledge, no one has gone off and, and, and joined another team. I know that kind of happens sometimes in men's hockey where like the season ends in the winter and then they go off to, for example, Australia, and then they'll go play their winter which is great, <laughs> but I haven't heard that for, for women just yet. The other thing I was going to ask was that you study journalism and then parlayed that into your love, which is sports and specifically hockey, although your knowledge is very, very vast. Were you always a hockey fan and were you always a Habs fan? That's a funny, it's funny you ask that because I actually hated sports as a kid. <laughs> I grew up with two older sisters who loved hockey and I'd be that little annoying kid who just be like I don't want to watch this this is boring this sucks who cares and something clicked I think at around age 14 15 I don't know if it was puberty or the hormone I don't know what happened but I started basically we would receive the Montreal Gazette at home all the time and I would read the sports section because we didn't have RDS or, or 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 that any of those channels to watch the game so I'd read I just start reading game reviews about on the Habs. And from there, that's where I, my interest grew. So it went from writing, I started listening to the radio for, you know, play-by-play -play commentary during uh, hockey games. And then finally, we got extended cable or whatever it's called, a, be a better package. So we got RDS and I started watching and it was always, it was with the Habs first. It was back when Saku Koivu was still on the team, Alex Kovalev was still on the team. Like I'm getting chills just talking about it because it feels so long ago. And also, you know, I really identified with that team, even though, you know, it wasn't a perfect team by no means. So I started out as a Habs fan and that passion grew. And I remember when I was in Sejep, so around 2010, 2012, I, I was wondering, is there a women's hockey team in, in the city? And that's when I kind of discovered the Montreal Stars. But again, like I said, I wasn't really following them too closely, but hockey is always my first love. And the funny thing is I've probably played it barely once because <laughs> I can barely skate and definitely I can't hold a hockey stick it's just it's so weird to me but like you I'm much better with my feet when it comes to soccer so yeah no hockey hockey's always been uh, a really a big passion of mine and I'm really glad that I discovered women's hockey because I feel like I almost feel like a kid again and I feel like I'm rediscovering it all over again that's amazing. So I know this is a very biased question. Who is your favorite Le Canadien, other than Meg, who is the the coach, the general manager? Do you have a favorite? Oh, man, that's hard. It's really hard for me to pick a favorite. I remember last season, I really identified with uh, Noemi Marin, who's now retired, which made me so sad. We had a lot of retirees uh, this this before the season began, actually, this year. So Noemi Marin was one of my favorite, favorite players. I think her work ethic on the ice and her pro overall professionalism and just like the way she carried herself, I just thought she was outstanding. So many of these players are amazing. This year, I mean, I'm, I'm, we have so many, so many talented players. Shout out to Mel Desrochers, my co-host. 
the Last Stretch podcast. She's pretty good too. But I think it's going to be to be determined for this year. I mean, I'm a fan of so many of the women on the team right now that it's hard to pick one. But yeah, no, Noemi Marin was definitely my first, uh, as you say in French, coup de cœur. Oh, so, oh, that's yeah. so sweet. I am so happy to talk to you about this. I was wondering if you could let us know where to find your work, your podcast, and where else we can find you. Definitely. So you can follow me on Twitter at SAS underscore on the go. Our podcast, The Last Stretch Podcast, is also on Twitter at last stretch pod um, on instagram as well same handle sass underscore on the go uh same thing for the last stretch pod and yeah that's basically where you can find me and uh yeah that's it i um have a special affinity for safia because she's also one of the very few brown women in sports media so not only do we share a love of the same women's hockey team we share a love of korean what was it when we went to go eat in Toronto, Saf? What was it? Oh, yeah. I think it was a, I think it was Korean food. It was Korean, wasn't it? But that we didn't yeah. end up having it because all the food was pork based. So we ended up having <laughs> yeah. vegetarian. That was amazing. The broth, <laughs> yeah. The broth was all pork. It was so sad. <laughs> and we waited in line. Anyways, that was wonderful. I can't wait to see you again when you're in Toronto. Hopefully there's a game October 27th, Toronto Furies against the Canadian. I can't wait to go. I will hopefully see you there. And if if not, can you just let our listeners know, is it possible for them to buy CWHL seasons tickets? Is that a possibility this year? Yes, it definitely is a possibility. Uh, you can always, if you want to get season tickets to our games, you can go on our website at montreal.thecwhl.com. And under our tickets tab, we have a variety of options, one of which is uh, getting season tickets. And as well, if you visit the CWHL website, I'm fairly certain, I, I won't speak on behalf of other teams. I'm assuming that they offer season passes. Actually, yes, they do offer season passes. So I don't know what I'm saying. But um, you can go on the league website and definitely get some season tickets and passes there. Thank you so much for being on Burn It All Down. It's always lovely to chat with you and good luck with the season. Please give Julie Chu a hug because she's so much fun and and bow when you see Pooh because Marie-Philippe Poulain. I always said if I get a kitten, I'm going to name it Pooh. So that's, oh, she's mine. I will definitely do all of that. Thank you so much for having me on Burn It All Down. I'm such a huge fan of yours, of the podcast, of everything that you guys do. Thank you so much. And yeah, I hope to see you uh, in Toronto, if not in Montreal. Yeah. And thank you for doing what you do to help grow the women's game. And it can never, we know it's never enough that we do, but the fact that everyone does it together is incredible. So the work that you do is so appreciated and say hi to everybody in Montreal. Will do. Thanks a lot, Shireen. Thanks. Take care, Saf. You too. As some of our listeners might know, there is a certain case involving a very high-profiled footballer named Cristiano Ronaldo. Some of you might have heard of him. He's a Portuguese player and is allegedly one of the, arguably, one of the best in the world. He plays for Juventus in Italy. Now, unburdened all down, we have had the honor to write and the ability to share our thoughts, Brenda and I, on various platforms. And I know Jessica has also been interviewed for this. She couldn't be with us this week. And I know that the team talked about Ronaldo last week. But what I wanted to do in some unofficial capacity is a lot of this stuff and maybe unload a little bit. Brenda, do you want to unload a little bit? Oh, I'm always ready to unload on Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> 
and not only on that person, but also on the process. And I know that a couple of weeks ago, Jessica and Lindsay talked about what it takes. Now, for all of you know that we all have like Brenda and Amira are actually professors. <laughs> so that's, you know, their, their work and so much of the work. So writing about this stuff is on top of everything else. Burn it all down is on top of everything else. And we wanted to share, I specifically wanted to share a little bit of that and maybe highlight a bit of what happens. So uh, Brenda had an amazing piece for Vice Sports. She co-wrote with Jennifer Doyle and that was just incredible on how Cristiano Ronaldo is a symbol of corruption as well in the system, which was so beautifully done, Brenda, and so powerful. Brenda and I were lucky to co-write, co which was actually something on my bucket list and part of my what's good for this week, to co-write with Brenda for Rewire on critiquing media. And then I had written for Time magazine last week. So it was just all of these things coming down. Brenda, what were the were there any after effects of that for you? Well, I mean, I think there's a couple things and I, I would love to hear, and I'm sorry that Jess and Lindsay and Amira can't be here because I'd love to hear what they have to say too. But I mean, there's a couple things. First, you're writing this and the whole time you're writing it, you're anticipating what people's reactions are. So I feel like there's a low level headache that comes the entire time you're writing. Usually I write history stuff about people that are super dead <laughs> and I never am not powerful like this guy. It's also important to remember that I've been threatened by FIFA on several occasions with lawsuits. So I'm always, you know, super worried at the same time, both pieces were collaborative one with you and I respect you so much. And that's wonderful. Same with Jen. So being collaborative for me really helps with that. That's a huge help because I don't question myself as much because it's a beautiful experience to have, you know, sisterhood and writing these kinds of things. And then the other thing is just this. So the secondary follow is just what people say to you. So I'm just going to read you a tweet I got yesterday. Yeah, for sure. From a person who, who I won't give you his Twitter handle, but you can see it if you want. And he sent me a picture of Cristiano Ronaldo and three of his children. I don't know where the fourth is. It's <laughs> missing in action. God. And his partner in a bra with Minnie Mouse ears. And it says, here's a picture for you, Dr. Elsie. May it shine some light on your bitter, shriveled female soul if you have any. LOL. So like... Isn't that amazing, Shereen? Oh, oh, your bitter, shriveled soul? My female soul. <laughs> oh, your female soul. I love your... My I love your uh, bitter, bitter shriveled, shriveled female soul. Female soul. I've been called... At least on Facebook, you can delete stuff. I've been called like an old lady who just needs to get some. You know, so there's this and you should ignore it, but it's really hard. What do you get stuff way worse than this, Shereen, because you have many more followers. What do you do with that garbage? I'm a big proponent of the block, the mute in the block. Uh, depending, the mute in the block, the the okay. Block. I also got an email that I thought was really interesting. The time piece, uh, because it's probably the largest circulated publication I've ever published for, and it came so quickly. Like it literally, I formulated that piece within two hours. And I sent it off to the editor in London and I woke up the next morning because she needed it at London time and I had hammered it out. And I got an email a couple of days later as I was at a dinner and it said the subject was thoughtful remarks. And this is how you know that it's going to be rude. 
because when the subject line is so nice, you know that something's coming. And and I get this through my website, the Squarespace website I have, the shereenabbott.com. And the message was, you are the kind of journalist that is just out to seek attention for herself. You defend gold-digging whores like Catherine Mallorca, who should be sued for millions in damages and locked up for framing a hero of modern-era sportsmanship like the great Cristiano Ronaldo. I hope that your movement and publication fail women, children, and will all support Ronaldo through these slanderous and false claims. I sincerely hope that you learn your lesson next time you try to support some hooker from Las Vegas that was fortunate enough to even have pictures with someone of Ronaldo's caliber. And it's from somebody named Nader Aftab. They have to put, it could be a fake name. I don't know. On the tweet of Time Magazine itself, all the replies, because I'm verified, it will filter some out and I find that helpful sometimes. But there was a lot of STFU. There was a lot of, were you in the room? And I'm thinking, I'm sorry, you don't know how journalism works. You don't actually have to be present during the crime to report on it. That's that's actually not how it works. And there was a lot of accusations. And I, this is why I think it's really interesting that Cristiano Ronaldo's team, as of like a couple of days ago, has have gone after the Der Spiegel team, who are ready for this. They were ready. They have their documentation. They are. What I would love to see is the Der Spiegel team sue Cristiano's the counter sue for defamation because he's they're accusing them of not being, you know, sort of very astute journalists, which they are. They were ready for this. I think they I really believe that the team at Der Spiegel and I get a little bit of inspiration for them. Brenda, you and I know that when we pitched our story to Rewire, nobody wanted it. So it's like it's validating in a way that this is all coming out, but it's the same thing about the story that I've been writing about, about the stadium ban of women in Iran. Nobody wanted it. And suddenly New York Times is interested. And it's something that you and I've been talking about for a very long time. This is something that we knew was out there, but it, it's not real until certain male journalists decide to write about it or certain editors decide that it's acceptable to publish. And that motivates me. I mean, as far as the hate and the anger, I've, you know, the rape threats are always jarring, but, you know, I, but I mean, the profanity I can, I can handle. It doesn't bother me and the tweets at me. Like I just, it doesn't bother me at all. And there are people who get far worse than I do. I mean, I know that Jessica gets that. Lindsay definitely gets that. Amira gets that. You get that. It's, like you said, very poignantly, when you're writing, you are actually anticipating this. And I decided to actually not at all this time on this particular story I wrote for time, not give any fucks about what people would say, because that's what I needed to do at that time to write what I needed to write. And the we're writing with you for Rewire is also great because there's that team. There's that wall that we can both put up and support each other. And the feedback from Rewire has actually been very positive because our anal analysis was of the media itself. And I was really, I, I remember texting you and sort of saying that I was grateful that other journalists were screenshotting what we wrote and are, are complicit in the problem. And we all are part of the problem. So I think that that's super important. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, when, when we go after the media, certainly there's less of a pushback against just general people on social media like his supporters. But the piece that Jen and I wrote got a bit more pushback. <laughs> Because I think we focused more on Ronaldo himself as a kind of franchise, him himself. So look at him and his team, the fact that he reaps about a billion dollars 
for his sponsors and just the kind of power and corruption that surround him. And all of that we know, and yet it's Mayorga who gets the scrutiny. And so when we went after that, we got we got a bit more from Jewy fans, you know, and it's it's very clear who they are, but it's still it's just it's just hard to sort of flush out that garbage from your brain all the time. And I can't imagine people who do it even more how they do it. But but for me, it just it gets like sad. You know, you're never these types of pieces. It's not like you write and you're ever fully celebrating. You're never like, oh, I wrote this great thing and it's so happy and great. (laughs) So I think that's like important for people who don't write about it to understand that these are things that are tremendous amount of work and you should be able to be happy about it. But you can't. You can't because of the subject matter. You can't because of the way people respond. No, my gosh. No, I would love to never have to write about this again. I would love to. Yeah, but that's not the reality of the situation. And, you know, just you were just mentioning about the Juve fans. Where are the Real Madrid Madrid fans here? Are they all like Madristas? Are they all like happy that he's gone so they can just focus well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm happy to say I'm glad Ronaldo's gone from Madrid because I really like Luka Modric and I feel that I can like care about him nicely now. Although I still hate Ramos, so you know that. I think that in, I love what you said that you know you're never fully celebrating. Yeah, sure. I had somebody say to me, "Oh wow, time, that's amazing," and I remember thinking. No, like rewire. Did you like that? Actually, it's not where I get published. It's actually what is being published. And I can't believe people don't understand the way freelance journalism works. They're always like, oh, you're trying to make millions of dollars on the backs of these players. It's like if I was trying to make millions of dollars, seriously, I would not be doing this. This, yeah, this yeah, not, you're not you're not minting money out of freelance I mean, journalism. I don't know who thinks that. No, you're absolutely right. It's just not. I got that all the time. I got so many Facebook comments that were like, because at first I made the mistake of making that article public, and then I immediately did just friends because of her. Like, like within 20 seconds, it was like you are a greedy, horrible person trying to make money. It's like, are, are you? Ki- you're talking about like. A hundred dollars. <laughs> Someone's making. Yeah, I know. It wasn't a guy named Alessio something because I got that same thing on my footy bed sheets Facebook page when I posted the timepiece. Was you're greedy? I got a, a message, like a private message to my uh, my professional page, and it was the same accusations. You don't know what you're talking about, and you're trying to get money. And I'm like, no. If I was going to try to get money from Ronaldo, I wouldn't start at a hundred dollars. You're right. You know, it, let's just say I was going to try to get rich. It, no, it wouldn't be that. The way to get rich, I mean, is to play on all the tropes and all the patriarchal comfort zones. So I would be writing things like Leo Messi talks about his bathing routine and how it makes him a better football player. That's what I would be writing about. I you know what? Like, you know what, Brenda? Let's screw it. Let's <laughs> let's go after that money and write a piece about wags. Let's do that instead. Oh yeah, like what kind of like ten top plastic surgeries that they've had. Oh, yeah. Let's pick them apart in media because that'll get us a byline in (laughs) Sports Illustrated or whatever. (laughs) So it's it's unbelievable that people think this. They really don't understand it. And Jen and I tried to take on some of the comments in the article itself. So when we wrote the piece for Vice, Ronaldo is an icon of corruption. We were trying to put him in in a kind of web, a network. And 
when we did that, we addressed the the social media commentary about were you, were you in the room? And one of the things about were you in the room, besides the fact that I assume it's rhetorical <laughs> for I don't think anyone who would write that is listening to this show, but if you are, we obviously were not in the room. If we were in the room, we would have been you know, trying everything to help Mayorga. I mean, no, we were not in the room. <laughs> no, we were not. We were not in the room. No, we were no. not in the room. Um, were they in the room? <laughs> and the reason that they're writing that is because they actually picture themselves in the room. And that's what we tried to talk about was that the identification with sports stars is so unique. It's disturbing. It's troubling. And it's powerful. And those those fans actually are thinking of themselves in the room. That's why they say it over and over again, because they've been able to project themselves onto these stars and they feel they have a sense of intimacy. And it's a really sick relationship that they have between them and these stars because they, they don't know Ronaldo, but, but sponsors want you to think that you know him. Someone pointed out to me that he's going really big. His social media is posting pictures of his family and sort of projecting this. And you you were right to say that someone sent you a picture of his family. And people are trying to say, well, he's got children. So he's, you know, infallible. I'm like, I have children. I have four children and I actually gave birth to them. So why don't I get that benefit of the doubt? Like, is that the standard? Like if you have kids and you post a nice Instagram post, that that's it? Also, I think the the trope that I pointed out of people saying, well, he's so good on the pitch, it doesn't matter, that quickly faded away, which I am happy to see. It was not, oh, he's such a strong player. Now people are trying to support his character. And I'm really, I'm actually, I'm waiting to see that house of cards crumble and fall down and tumble. And I'm waiting to see if someone pointed this out to me that Nike hasn't dropped him. EA Sports did take him off the cover. But Nike, was it Nike or Nike? I don't, I don't know. They haven't severed any ties. They are quote unquote monitoring still. How much are they going to monitor? Like he has a lifetime contract. Yeah, but he's I'm sorry, he's one of charges, only. If they file no, no. criminal charges, he should, like that must be part of a subclause. Like you can't. But but it's that's what I'm saying is like he's uniquely linked to them. So it'll be interesting to see what they do because he's only one of three players that's ever gotten a lifetime contract with Nike. And I don't know the stipulations of that contract. So you're, you pointing that out is like actually really important because that is a very unique relationship. Well, lesson to CEOs of sports companies do not ever issue a lifetime membership to anyone except Christine Sinclair. So because <laughs> or burn it all down or, or burn it all down because, you know, like this is you just shouldn't do it as practice. And this should be a case for Harvard Business Review or something like just don't do that. It's men are men are trash. Can I ask you something, Shireen, though? Can I ask you what you think about him being left off the por- the Portugal team this week? Been left off for a while in the sense of none of the qualifying matches against Scotland that they played against Scotland because Ronaldo Sanchez wasn't playing anyway and he wasn't playing well. I think I had a moment of compassion momentarily during the Euros when Portugal won only because I really liked Ronaldo Sanchez, the 19-year-old at the time phenom who sort of fell falling off the face of the earth. So I looked at this in my own piece about it as well, that he was left off the squad, but it wasn't because Portugal and the Federation actually cared that he was being implicated in a rape case. It was because 
something else or whatnot. And they came out with full-fledged support. Even the prime minister of the country came out in support of him. So that he wasn't selected, it does nothing for me. It doesn't hurt him at all. It, in fact, gives him more attention because of the statements that came out in support of him. I am not a fan of the way he plays. Like, I don't care. His free kicks are nice, but so were Beckham's. So, and Beckham hasn't raped anyone. So I just, and my favorite movie is not named after him. So I, I couldn't care less for Ronaldo in many, many ways. And it's not... You know, this is the other thing, Brenda, because I'm a Kool-Aid. Does that mean that I'm going after This is something else. And I made it the point to say on Twitter that if God forbid, God forbid, and you and I were exchanging on this, if Iniesta or Javi came out with these implicated and something like this, I would cry forever. But I would also cancel them because that's what needs to happen. You are not allowed. You are not. It's of not course. okay to continue supporting someone when this is, this is happening. No. And you said that. You said that about Messi. Absolutely. I can't understand why people would make an equivalence between a football match and sexual assault. I can't even engage with people like that. I don't even know what to say. Well, there's many and many are tweeting you. So Yeah. (laughs) No, I know. I know. But you just put it, you know, so clearly, like, I mean, you would just cancel them. And it's like, yeah. And I don't think I fully understand the psychology of someone who wouldn't. Yeah. Speaking of that, do you have any self-care practices that you have put into overdrive? I just think I'm really committed to writing with women that I admire and respect and trying to be grateful that they're in it with me. And that's been my self-care. I don't know how you and Jess and Linz have written about this solo. I think it's really brave. I Like I said, collaborating with you was very important to me, also because you're a genius. For those that don't know, Brenda is actually a genius. And I just the flow of it was important because we also felt the same way. And that was very helpful. In terms of, I don't write about it as much as, as Jess and Linz do. And Linz turns out piece after piece on this, which can get very, you know, I have no idea. For me, they're super women. Um, my self-care practice has been chips, specifically Cheeto Crunchets. Now that Halloween is coming soon, there's also very easily accessible little bags of chips where you can eat five of them and not feel bad because they're so small. So that's okay. And then, you know, clips of right now I'm going through Jane Austen movie clip thing. So I'm watching persuasion clips. So I know it's weird. I need to decolonize my brain. And I really do. For someone that's like anti-imperialist, I really love Jane Austen movies. I, I need to I need to deal with that my own way. So, anyways, that's just mine. And do you have any like is there food that you turn to Bren? Or is there like something? Or is it just messy you just think about? I do beer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> beer is the food that helps me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, I will say there are burn it all down fans like Maria waiting for Galdez Mentado who sent me clips of Sissy's free kicks. Oh, wow. to make me feel better. Well, and um, I would like to say that that that's awesome that I do indulge myself just kind of staring at repetitive football highlights that I like a lot. Uh, <laughs> but beer. That's awesome. On that note, we'll move on. Now it's time for everyone's favorite segment, which is the burn pile. Brenda, what are you torching? Oh my gosh, I had so many this week. I have a list. So I'm just going to stick to one. 
so that we can focus all of our fire. Okay. But friend of the show, Evan Moore, has written on this story. And basically, for those of you who haven't been following it, in Chicago, there was a very important case involving police officer Jason Van Dyke. And he was convicted last week of second-degree murder in the 2014 shooting of 17-year-old Laquan McDonald. And because of racial profiling and Black Lives Matter, this was a real flashpoint case for the city of Chicago. It's the first Chicago PD officer, I believe, to be convicted since 1980. So tensions were very high. Once the verdict was read, though, Chicago public schools came out and told coaches and athletic directors that they that the games on Friday, the date of the conviction, were canceled, quote, out of an abundance of caution regarding the timing of the Van Dyke trial verdict announcement, end of quote. So basically the message to the children who play for Chicago public schools was that there was going to be violence in reaction to it. And this, I just think as an educator, is a terrible message. Obviously, the idea is they were ready with this. They didn't just come out with this statement. And it showed that they really had a negative image of their own students, that they would think that violence would ensue because of this trial. And so Evan Moore wrote about it very locally, And I just want to burn the idea that educators assume that especially their black students might react in some violent way to a a criminal trial and that that characterization sends a message to their own students that says, we don't believe in what you've done. It seems very cowardly or we don't believe that that you won't do what other people have done. And I think that sends a very cowardly image of the school district and also a very negative image of their students. And some of the high schools actually continued with the games. And I found that really heartening. And they explicitly said, you know, we no violence is happening here. We want our students to be able to be trusted and enjoy the sport that they've worked so hard for. So I want to burn that approach to high school athletics. Burn. 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 I will go next. Oh, well, next. I'm the only <laughs> Are you one. sure we could just back and forth on burns yeah. all day? <laughs> could do table tennis round a burn pile. Oh, completely. <laughs> what I'm going to burn, this sort of infuriated me. It's something that's always in the back of my mind about hijab bands and sports. And as we know, like... Uh, Taekwon and karate actually have made some um, sort of amendments to their uniform rules and permit hijab. So I was reading this and right now for people that don't know, the Asian para games are on, they're underway. And I think that they're actually being held in Indonesia. And what happened was there is a judoka and her name is Miftahul Janna. She's blind and she was disqualified from competition because she didn't want to take off her hijab. And head coverings cannot be worn during competitions according to the International Judo Federation regulations. Like I said, karate, taekwondo do allow Muslim athletes to wear a, a specific type of mandated hijab during competition, but judo doesn't. And the IJF refereeing rules in article number four, number four, 
say that the head of the judoka shall not be covered except for bandaging of a medical nature. So those numbers are very important because they make people think that this type of misogyny and very thinly veiled gendered Islamophobia is acceptable. So Article 4, Number 4, whatever. So I think that the reality of what actually happens here is that it's exclusion. And she was disqualified. She wasn't able to play. And she had a very poignant statement. She said she knew about the rule, but she insisted on wearing hijab anyway. And quote, unquote, quote, Miftahul said, I want to break that rule. I want to challenge that rule because I want to stick to my principle. And this is really important here. This is her principle. This is who she is. Is there actually any indication? And I want the IJF to actually come out and show that there has been some type of medical injury sustained by hijab because we know that doesn't happen. We asked for it with FIFA. We asked for it for FIBA. We asked for IFBB. It doesn't exist. Why are people making up these rules? And the people that make up these rules are men. Do they actually sit down and talk to women in hijab and actually investigate medically whether there have been injuries sustained or to somebody else? No. So I want to burn that and I will forever burn it because it's just simply exclusionary. So burn. burn. Now, moving on to a space where we can talk about happy things and amplify wonderful, wonderful people. So honorable mentions are to Megan McPeak for calling the preseason's Pistons game. I also want to give out an honorable mention to the fictional cartoon girl on the Big League 2 packaging because of the first time there will be a girl on the package of that famous chewing gum. And that's okay. Now, as far as our badass woman of the week, can I get a drum roll, Brenda? How's that? Brilliant. Thank you. Our badass girl of the week is actually Darcy Yarnold, a young girl, footballer in England who was bullied by horribly mean little boys and their parents. And she was not after a match. She wasn't given high fives by the other team, but she persevered because she's awesome. And her mother ended up posting something on Facebook, which went viral. And Darcy was not only invited to be the mascot for the Manchester women's side, she was invited to be the mascot at the Lionesses upcoming game, which I think is brilliant. So congratulations to Darcy. Keep playing, keep forcing people to realize how awesome you are because you are. Brenda. Tell me what's good. Hmm. Well, I meditated on this a lot. I actually love this segment of the show when we talk about self-care and stuff like that because it makes me think of what I'm grateful for and what's coming up this week. So it's actually like an amazing segment that forces me to do it and then get out of my like negative Nelly. Everyone knows Shereen's glass half full. I'm glass super empty. <laughs> glass entirely empty. <laughs> So anyway, uh, what am I excited about? First, I went to Penn State and I saw the amazing Amira Rose Davis. Yeah. And friend of the show, Jamie Schultz. And I did an escape room with her and we threw axes. We went to a place where we threw axes at targets. That was so awesome. We missed all the other Biad people, but it was really fun. Also, Simone Biles tweeting, like getting all political on her Twitter 
I love that. That's been making me really happy about the new USA Gymnastics coach, et cetera, et cetera. So super excited about that, just following her and seeing how she uh, develops. And then I'm really excited because I have Monday off where my kids are in school. And I know it sounds lame, but catching up with grading and stuff like that is going to be awesome. So I'm just like in a really good mood about that. And I encourage everyone to give your employees a day off, like an extra day. In this case, it's like the fall break for Hofstra. And I don't know, I'm just kind of tickled about it. I'm excited to catching up and like reading people's work. And so I'm feeling happy about that. What about you, Shireen? That, um, I am off on uh, personal vacation for a little while. As of Tuesday, I will miss the Burn It All Down team very much because I was due. Um, it's been a while since all of us were on the bus together or on the cruise ship, the yacht, whatever it is, because we're all trying to extract money from the Oh, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. We're all smoking cigars topless, um, Rihanna style. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So I'm excited about that. I love fall so much. Like leaves have started changing. I had a really nice sort of fam jam over the Thanksgiving weekend. I'm still really reeling from that happiness. I am also really happy about chunky sweaters, very chunky, warm sweaters. I know we talk about that a lot because it's getting quite cold. So um, I love that, the crisp air, and I'm grateful for my friends, particularly this week, the Burn It All Down team. I just, you know, wake up and it sounds really like total fromage, but I want to be like, I am so grateful, hashtag blast, but I know I really feel that way some days when I'm just like, I can't do anything. You know, I lean on my lady army who are always there to help me, so... I just wanted to say thank you to you specifically, Brenda, who I WhatsApp a lot with caps or whatever I'm complaining about and just love that. And I just want to shout out all the women and NBs out there that support each other and just, you know, continuously provide support in our own communities, which we always, always need. So that's my what's good. That's it for this week in Burn It All Down. Burn It All Down lives on SoundCloud, but can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. We appreciate your reviews and feedback, so please subscribe and rate to let us know what we did well and how we can improve. You can find us on Facebook at Burn It All Down, on Twitter at Burn It All Down Pod, or on Instagram at Burn It All Down Pod. You can email us at burnitalldownpod at gmail.com and check out our website, www.burnitalldownpod.com, where you will find previous episodes, transcripts, a link to our Patreon. We would appreciate you subscribing, sharing, and reading our show, which helps us do the work we love to do and keep burning what needs to be burned. On behalf of Brenda and myself, thank you so much. We'll see you next week. And I'll suck you.